It's like we've undervalued our privacy and we're suddenly starting to realise it's... So this helicopter robbery became a symbol for a lot of risk related to cash. When I have cash, I have total power. Ask yourself a question. How much cash are you carrying with you right now? £10? 50 A couple of coins in the bottom of your bag? Do you even carry cash anymore, given that it's so easy to pay with your contactless credit card or your smartphone? And yes, while this may be a lot more convenient given our busy lives, what are we really paying for with this move towards a cashless society? These are just some of the questions we will be asking in episode four of Treasury and Turbulence, Going Cashless, presented by me, Kanika Seigel. But before that, let me introduce Euromoney's specialist content editor, Charlie Corbett, who will be presenting the in-house view from City. I'm going to be talking in our in-house view to Manish Kohli, who is Global Head of Payments and Receivables at City's Treasury and Trade Solutions business. We're going to be talking about how treasurers are adapting to an increasingly cashless business model, the challenges related to this transition, and, of course, the wider ramifications of going cashless on society. Thanks, Charlie. This podcast is supported by City Treasury and Trade Solutions. With experts in 98 countries around the world, City is uniquely able to give advice and solutions to global companies to help them manage their international trade and financial flows in this time of deep uncertainty and change. I have zero uh, crowns in my wallet. Uh, I haven't used cash in Sweden for, for quite some time, actually. This is Nicholas Arvinson, an associate professor at the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. In Sweden, today only 2% of the total value of all transactions are made using cash. And according to the research, that percentage will continue to fall. A study by Capgemini and BNP Paribas predicts that by next year, the total value of cash transactions in Sweden will be less than half a percent. The reduction of cash has been about 10% per year. Um, the last five years uh, on average. So it's really a rapid development. There were a number of factors which drove Sweden to increasingly adopt cashless and digital payments. It started actually already in the 1960s where where we started to get um, wages and sellers into bank account instead of being uh, paid out in cash. Then there was the card payment system introduced in the 1990s. Uh, debit card, credit cards, the, uh, one of the most important payment services uh, for, re- for retail payments uh, in Sweden. But then there was a swathe of robberies in the mid to late 2000s, which brought the vulnerability of cash to light. There was a really a sort of a Hollywood uh, story kind of robbery uh, that had been planned for apparently a long time, where um, criminals had stolen a helicopter, landed on the roof of this cash depot, entered through the roof early in the morning, uh, were able to to steal around uh, almost 40 million Swedish crowns, which would be like 4 million euro. So this, this sort of helicopter robbery became a symbol for lot of risk related to cash and a lot of and i think the opinion on cash shifted in that moment all of a sudden some people started to think about that and seemed to start thinking about the possibility of having a payment system without cash uh, i think it 
evoked feelings that, that changed uh, the mindset of many people uh, vis-à-vis cash. This was a turning point for Sweden. The helicopter robbery became a symbol of the weakness of cash. And that, says Nicholas, was when people really began to consider a payment system that didn't use cash at all. Consumers, when they make payments in store, they preferred card payments. They only in about less than 18% of the cases, they, they do use cash. Um, so it's really now up to the retailers to sort of decide when or if cash will, will almost disappear completely in Sweden. Stockholm may be leading the way, but something similar is happening elsewhere. Take Borough Market in London, for example. Vendors here, like elsewhere in the city, are increasingly adding contactless and digital payment options to make things all the more convenient for locals and tourists alike. Good afternoon. My name is Matthew Cookson. This is the Carefully Stall in Borough Market. We first introduced contactless payments about four years ago. Okay. And why, why was it? Why did you do that? Um, market pressure. Everybody else had the facility um, and technology had moved on that it was, it was easy enough to, to get one of the handheld machines. And do you think from introducing contactless payments, um, digital payments, has that kind of done more for your business? Does, has business improved because of that? Yes, we've probably increased sales by 20 to 30%. Oh, so that's, that's pretty incredible, actually, yes. then. Contactless credit cards and smartphones are convenient, and this is increasingly spreading into the corporate world. So, Steve Robson, I'm head of commercial cards for Europe, Middle East and Africa for uh, City. So I think for corporate customers, there's a couple of things. Number one, they are also... Whilst they're employees, they are also consumers. So I think what they tend to see is they get used to using their cards in the consumer world, in their private lives, and then they expect to be able to do something very similar when they enter the corporate space. And I think as we're seeing particularly contactless payments, mobile payments really beginning to take off, the next question is, why can't I have that in my corporate life? So if you think for a moment around the tube network in London and in some of the other cities around the world as well. Uh, nobody really wants to be using an Oyster card now and topping it up and making a payment. What they really want to be able to do is to tap their card, go through the turnstile, get on the tube, tap it on the way out, and then after that have it neatly expensed through their expense management process. Whether it be via your contactless credit card, your smartphone or watch, handling cash in your day-to-day life can be pretty much avoided completely. Everything is converging on the mobile phone. I can see people being comfortable with that, particularly because of the security. You know, in the card world, a chip and pin transaction is pretty secure. It's as secure as we as we can really get because on the one hand, you've got the chip which says that the card is present, you've got the pin number which says it's you because only you should know your pin. If you think about the move to mobile, um, that is something where it will go a step further, not just a pin that you need to memorise, but actually biometric information. So you will verify yourself using your thumbprint. You will verify yourself using some kind of facial recognition. But what happens then if you don't have a smartphone? What happens if you don't even have a bank account? Wouldn't this mean that some of society's most vulnerable people will be left out as we increasingly transition towards a cashless society? 
You see or hear about it most days. How people have stopped buying the big issue or giving a couple of quid to a busker on the street because all they have on them is their card. Charities will also suffer. Research by Barclaycard shows that if charities continue to rely on cash, they could lose close to £80 million in potential donations each year in the UK. One Oxford-based charity, Greater Change, came up with a solution. An app and QR codes which allow people to donate without actually using cash. This is Jonathan Tam, the COO of Greater Change. We were doing homeless outreach work and it became sort of fairly obvious to us that this should be a a programme that exists, being able to give cashlessly to uh, homeless individuals. By their nature, this kind of giving can be tracked and arguably can be more effective yeah, there was this really funny um, uh, story. I was talking to this rough sleeper uh, who was outside of uh, a Tesco's in Oxford once and sort of offered him, uh, offered to buy him a sandwich and, and, and drink. And he, he just told me, you know, this, I've, had, I've had three sandwiches tonight. <laughs> and and, and, and um, so, so, it's, so it's funny, right? Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but in that way, so that it tells you, and I'm sure your listeners will be very attuned to this, it's not an efficient supply chain <laughs> if you uh, to, to have individuals randomly walk up in a uh, in a process. It is sort of very uncontrolled process to individuals to then say, "I'm going to buy you a sandwich now." Mm. Right? You're going to get a huge amount of sandwiches that don't keep <laughs> uh, that you can't keep on the streets, and then the next day you're going to get nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so far better to channel cashless giving towards uh, charities that provide, you know, good charities, right, that provide the, uh, the really good experiences to, um, to the, for these individuals and, um, and allow them to smooth it out and work out how best to help these people. Mm. Sort of giving trust and giving resources to people who do good work. That future yeah. is going to be a lot better than the past, okay. right, Without, yeah. uh, where we were dealing only in cash. Jonathan, how much cash are you carrying with you at the moment? <laughs> um I think I've got five pounds. I've got okay. a fiver. I've had that five pounds for months, I have to say. So <laughs> so you know, I haven't used it. So moving towards a cashless society is convenient. It's safer, and according to Jonathan Tan, it can be more effective. In some instances, effective giving means collecting information on the recipient, so that money can be distributed appropriately. But what about the people donating this money? How is their data being used? Hi, Kanika. Hi, how are you doing? All right, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. You've been pretty busy, I guess, the last week or so. This is Dominic Frisby, a financial writer and author from London. I mean, the first question, pretty broad and pretty open. Is it inevitable that we'll be moving towards a cashless society? Well, that depends on how you define cash. Now, if by cash you mean what most people think it means, i.e. notes and coins, it is kind of inevitable because money is tech and what we use as money has always been driven by technology and how advanced technology is. Um Digital technology in the 80s and 90s, electronic banking put paid to the cheque. And now contactless payment is doing the same to cash, uh, which is becoming less and less convenient. And in the marketplace, convenience usually wins. For Dominic, that contactless payment, a payment that uses a middleman, is fundamentally different to a cash transaction. Cash 
is incredibly empowering to its users. You know, I when I have cash, I have total power and I hand that cash to somebody else. That is a powerful transaction. Whereas if you involve intermediaries in that traction in, in that transaction, immediately you're handing power to third parties. You're giving them information about that transaction, which perhaps you might not want to hand over. In many most cases, people don't even realise they're handing over that information. As soon as you use a third-party payment provider to process your transactions, you know, they have a power over you. Um, you know, regulation is such as that they can't use that information, but nevertheless, they have it. Is the loss of cash, does that mean the loss of power then for the individual? I've Very much so. There are all sorts of reasons why we use cash. We use it for small payments. We use it for quick payments. We use it for private payments. We use it for illegal payments. There are all sorts of different reasons why one uses cash. And as soon as you replace cash with third-party payment provision, those functions are lost. Dominic points to the hacking of Ashley Madison, the controversial dating website marketed for married couples, to illustrate this point. You might deem what those people were doing illegal, uh, immoral, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't illegal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all their payment information was leaked by some kind of hack. Now, those are the kind of payments where you might, you know, if you had the option, you would choose to pay with cash because you don't want anyone to know that you're on a dating website for people who want extramarital affairs. What, What you buy and sell says more about you than anything it says more about you than you do with your words and that information is private if other bodies be they corporations or be it the government have access to the that information that is an invasion of that privacy and not only that you are handing other bodies tremendous control over your life it's a form of surveillance the control and surveillance that dominic frisbee talks about is only going to get more intense This is Brett Scott, a journalist, author and campaigner based in London. There's a vast untapped data frontier of being able to see those small transactions. Um, You can do very fine-tuned profiling of people if you can watch their interactions. So the big breakthrough for the digital payments companies was the contactless payment systems, where you can basically do very fast, very small transactions. So the contactless payment stuff is the big frontier for small-scale data. And because basically you can you can approve contactless transactions without having to contact the bank first. And this is why the big tech companies are making plays into the space. And I guarantee you that Facebook and all these people will start issuing and start creating their own digital payment structures using Messenger and WhatsApp and their existing infrastructures to harvest their own payments data, right? Because if you, if you want to see how a person, what, what, what a person acts upon in society, what they actually, you know, it's put your money where your mouth is kind of concept, right? Like if you want to see what they actually do, watch their payments data. So are we giving up our privacy for convenience? Are we sharing some of our most personal data with middlemen, these digital payment intermediaries, just so we can buy a cup of coffee on our way to work that little bit faster? This is Ray Jong, Programme Assistant for the Kissinger Institute on China and the US at the Wilson Centre. China has the world's largest smartphone market, so in turn it has one of the largest markets of people using apps, and that includes mobile payment apps. In fact, 
There were 890 million people in China using mobile payment apps in the first half of 2018. People can do an incredible amount within just one app. They can pay their bills, buy plane tickets, reserve taxis, book concert tickets and much, much more. And every time one of these smaller programs within the larger app is used, the tech company that owns the app is able to store all of the information provided for these transactions to create a profile of its users. Because the different types of transactions people make within just one app, these profiles are very detailed. And according to Ray, they can be stored in a central location to be used and accessed at any time. Alipay, owned by online retail company Alibaba, and WeChat, which is owned by technology company Tencent, dominate the market. There was actually a big story in the spring of 2018 where an artist actually was able to purchase the personal data of 346,000 residents from my hometown of Wuhan in China and just display them at an art gallery. So this was an event that raised a lot of public awareness of how easily can people buy other people's personal data. And this raised the awareness. um, But unfortunately, the artist was put under investigation after pulling that stunt. But it started this conversation about who can buy your data? What can they use that data with? In terms of government access to data, there's not a lot that can be done because if they flag something on your account as a security violation, then the government's getting the data no matter what. However, privacy concerns about what corporations are able to do with data, that's something that the government is looking into. The case of China? This might be somewhat of an extreme example. Elsewhere, those of us that give up our data to digital payment systems in the UK or in Sweden or elsewhere, this data is probably protected, right? The default position of the internet as it currently functions is that if you want any kind of privacy, whether it's, you know, you want private emails or private messaging or private payments, you have to add that. The default position is no privacy. Your data is available to everyone. And over the last 20 or 25 years, we have given our privacy away without realising what we're doing for the sake of convenience. And it's my view that there's a sea change now in attitudes. We're in the really early stages. It's like it's like we've undervalued our privacy and we're suddenly starting to realise it's only a, a few people who are now realising it. For Dominic, this is a crucial point. The fact that this valuable information just exists. And this is information that probably wouldn't have existed if we were still using cash. The ways in which this data could be used or misused is still unfolding. Well, I think there's two sides to every every coin here. Here's Steve Robson again. I think on the one hand, what the corporate treasurer wants to be able to do is to absolutely see that data. So if you think about for the corporate traveller, corporate user, what compliance is a big story. You know, understanding how you're spending the company's money, where you're spending the company's money is really important. This has very little to do with individual compliance, said Steve Robson. But when it comes to spending companies' money... 
where there are tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of employees, misuse of company funds can add up. And knowing where and when employees spend company's money is essential for accounting and auditing purposes. Fundamentally, you know, this is that's the price that you pay for uh, receiving a free service and a, and a service that, you know, again, walking along the street today, how many people were looking at their mobile phones as they were walking? Much of what they're receiving is free. Um, and yes, they're giving up data. Perhaps they don't fully realise it. Perhaps we don't even fully yet realise the consequences of giving up that data. But I think we're beginning to. One last question from me. So, Steve, how much cash are you carrying with you at the moment? (laughs) Not very much. So I keep a little bit of cash, you know, purely in that fallback uh, piece. But most days I tend to find that I don't use any cash at all. So what it all boils down to is trust. We trust that the companies tracking our spend will not misuse our data. And we also trust that the infrastructure holding our data and processing our payments is secure. But what then happens if that infrastructure comes tumbling down around us? Here's Brett Scott again. You know, I was speaking with some you know, Federal Reserve people recently and, and you know, uh, cash usage in the US spikes massively prior to hurricane landings because they measure this, right? They can see the demand for cash from the central bank. And it's it goes up, I think, I mean, I don't know the exact figure, but something like 500% increase in the demand for cash prior to hurricane landings because people want to get their money out of the infrastructure that demands electricity and demands uh, the banking sector to stay upright, right? So they don't want it in there. They want a form of money that's not going to be subject to like, remote problems where you have to have remote intermediation because as soon as you have to have rely on remote data centers, you exposing yourself to massive risk. It's not then that the use of cash is falling, but that the role of cash is evolving. Take the example of Canada. Here, the stock of outstanding banknotes is actually increasing faster than nominal GDP. Stephen Murchison is the advisor to the central bank governor in Canada. So it's not that cash itself is becoming less common necessarily it's that it's becoming less common as uh, as a means of payment and so I think this other role of people holding on to cash uh, as a you know precautionary reasons or because they're using it as a as a way of saving is something that we need to to learn more about I mean it's it's possible that the role of cash will change through time um, and it will be seen less as a, as a way of purchasing things and more just as a, as a means of saving. While it feels like cash is disappearing from our day-to-day lives, the truth is it will continue to play a fundamental part in society. Society needs cash. But have we sacrificed too much at the altar of convenience? And what are the long-term consequences of this? The truth is, no one really knows. Here's Charlie Corbett, who will be presenting the in-house view from City. Thanks, Kanaka. Today, we're going to be talking about the cashless society and its impact on treasurers. I'm delighted to have with me Manish Kohli, Global Head of Payments and Receivables at City's Treasury and Trade Solutions business. Welcome, Manish. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Today, 
I kind of want to get a sense of the wider impact of a cashless society on ordinary businesses and people. Manish, will society ever become truly cashless? And if so, how far are we away from that today? I strongly believe that some parts of a society will truly become cashless and that'll happen during our generation itself. So while paper money may have been around since the Song Dynasty of the 7th century, I believe in many countries we're likely to be the last generation that will use money in the form of cash notes and coins as we know them today. Uh, It's already started to happen in Northern Europe. It's estimated that as few as one in five payments are made in cash. I, you know, I've also heard approximately 20% of Swedes claim that they never withdraw cash at all. And as commerce moves to digital forms, cash will ra- rapidly become obsolete because it is not a form factor that's fit for digital commerce. Who benefits the most from a cashless society and who could potentially suffer in a, in a cashless world? Well, the benefits will definitely accrue to all members of the society. And in practical terms, this means reduced cost of operations and fraud risks for providers of goods and services. For consumers, it'll mean a quicker and more convenient checkout experience. We believe this will lead to a marginalized and reduced parallel of black economy. We believe governments will benefit in the form of increased tax revenues. Um, The challenge will be that this... this, uh, This transition to a cashless society means that we need to be very sensitive about ensuring that we provide full inclusivity to all aspects of society. And it will be a shared responsibility between the banking industry and governments to ensure this happens. Next, I want to get a sense of how cashless society will change the day-to-day life of the treasurer and what he or she can expect in the future. Manish... What problems do Treasury departments at companies have today that a cashless society might solve? Yeah, Charlie, for, you know, depending upon the nature of the business and the industry uh, these corporates are in, uh, managing physical cash can be a relatively small but a disproportionately onerous aspect of a treasurer's role. Uh, it is expensive. Uh, you, we know it attracts uh, security costs, transportation costs, reconciliation expenses that we believe get eliminated or automated through electronic forms of money. This war on cash and inefficiency actually equally extends to paper checks. So while, while aspects of check processing have been digitized, check processing in itself remains a very major economic drag uh, versus the true digital alternatives, which are more efficient so you can actually see the efficiency of movement of cash and movement of checks away to a digital form equally being exciting for treasurers. Are treasurers doing enough to prepare? And what more should they be doing? Yeah, there's always more to do, of course. But uh, I believe great progress is being made to embrace digital as a concept. The first generation of successful businesses that have rejected cash from the business model has already arrived as we see them in the form of digital natives. And the first generation of consumers that will never use cash have been born. So this clearly illustrates how easily cash can be displayed, and we are on the right path. Now, treasurers can be a big catalyst in this journey, and we believe they need to push internally to upgrade their legacy infrastructures and work with their banking partners to take advantage of all the innovation and changes that are happening in the payment industry as and when, they're, when they become available, like real-time payments and alternative payment networks, 
and so on. So, Charlie, I think treasurers are doing enough, but they definitely can do more. Thanks, Manish. One final question. How much cash have you got in your pocket right now? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, just a lot of plastic and just a lot of alternative payments and so no cash. <laughs> That's great. Manish Kohli, thank you very, very much for speaking with us today. Thank you, Charlie. My pleasure. This podcast was produced, presented and edited by me, Kanika Snigel, with support from Mango Productions. With help and leadership from our head of digital, Chris Hunt, our deputy head of digital, Angelique Bevan, and our project manager, Mia Bailey. The City In-House View was reported by Euromoney Specialist Content Editor, Charlie Corbett. And thanks to support from City. For all the latest coverage on transaction services, please visit euromoney.com forward slash transaction services. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you want to get involved in any of our future podcasts, please email podcasts at euromoney.com. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the series, leave us a review and recommend us to any friends and colleagues that have a passion for corporate treasury.